chapter 4, verses 18 to 20. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me, that whenever I speak, words may be given me, so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. Amen. Well, it's good to be here. Can we give a round of applause to all the teams who set this up? I mean, it was it was pretty amazing coming in today. You know, new space, you don't know how it's going to look, all these different, you know, things you got to figure out. And I got to tell you, I just saw smile after smile after smile, which means either our teams are really good at faking it. No, no, no. <laughs> One of our values is to be authentic. Uh, it's, I mean, it's just incredible. I mean, you know, we didn't know where this or that went and all that uh, sort of stuff. This is our first week, but just lots of joy. Um, it's a real gift to be here. We're really thankful to those who are here uh, letting us take this space for uh, the foreseeable future. Thank you for all that you do. Uh, we really want to be, as I can say this to our, the church family here, we want to be uh, tenants here that leave the place better than it was when we came here. We want to just really, we really see our, our time here, not just for us. In fact, it's not just for us in, in a lot of big ways. We want to be here ultimately for the community, but that also starts with the physical place and the people he's placed us here among. So if we could find ways to just be a blessing and encouragement to the Computer History Museum staff, uh, we're just really grateful to them and want to be uh, here to just um, be a, a joy and delight to them as well. Um, the next few weeks are definitely going to be a little bit more pardon our dust type of a feel. It's kind of funny to say that because it feels like the team has done such a great job, you know, that it doesn't feel so much like that <laughs> right here at least. The kids' room is getting ready to get transformed a bit. I'm really excited. We're bringing in pool. We're bringing in a ping pong table. We're bringing in a foosball table, which is so exciting because it means for some of our older kids especially, let alone the youth, they're going to have a space that's not just kind of getting by as it has been for us in the past but a space that can really be theirs. They can look forward to dragging, hopefully, their parents alongside as they go to church. That's the goal. That's the goal. Well, if you're new, welcome. You picked a great day to join us. Uh, this is really a special time in the life of the church. We're glad you could jump in and join us. Hey, take full advantage of the pizza today, the volunteer team huddles. Uh, you can just come, get some free pizza, and just check things out. No strings attached. Um, but more than that, get a chance to get start to getting no, getting to know folks. It's just an easy entry bar for you. Well, I was thinking about what we could focus today on. You know, this time in which we start here in this new space, this new season. And I was thinking, okay, we got next week to celebrate our birthday. We got a few weeks out to celebrate and really kind of gear up for the mission of a hard launch, so to speak. But I was thinking about today, what could today be our focus? And what I felt led to was to focus in on prayer. Uh, we have said from the very beginning, very beginning, going back to the living room days of, of current, that unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. Psalm 127, verse 1. Unless the Lord builds a house, unless the Lord builds his church, all of this is for nothing. It, it matters not. Uh, we are really excited at the, at the potential of this space. We're really excited about what it could mean as far as the growth of the community, as far as our impact and growth in the greater community beyond. But if God's not in it, it's all for nothing. And so today, what I thought we'd do, 
on this occasion, put down a spiritual marker, especially focus in on prayer, our dependence on God, our trusting that it's he who builds his church. And here's what it seems to me is the, is the deal with prayer. It's, it's something that Christians can, can, can believe is fundamentally important, and yet at the same time, it's so easy, easily neglected. But prayer is just so important. And here we are in seasons of transition, okay? As a church, we're kind of putting down a little stake, saying, hey, we want to make this day about the Lord and looking forward to make it about Him, what we're about. But we're also in a season of transition, just kind of collectively as a society. We talked about this was last week's message, navigating transitions. A lot of you are in transitions. Maybe you're new to your job. Maybe you're new to where you're living. Maybe you're new to the area. Maybe you're new to your kids in this grade, or you're new to being a grandparent, or whatever the case may be. And in the midst of all this, we want to make prayer just such an important, it's, it's, important, it's important to understand why prayer matters so much. And, and, I, and I believe what this text helps us understand is it's far more important than we often tend to recognize. So we're going to be looking at this text. We're going to be getting, hopefully, God, God willing, soon, a prayer ministry uh, of a certain sorts on Sundays where we can gather and have prayer during the worship gathering. Uh, that's, that's coming down the, the pipeline. Today, we're going to do things a little bit different. We're going to have the elders come up and pray over our time uh, here in this space to kind of close our time together. But first, let's look to God's word in, uh, for the importance of prayer. Father, we do just want to recognize that uh, unless you build your house, unless you build your church, really, this is all for nothing. Lord, our, our greatest desire is not that as we start a season uh, as a church in a new facility, a new space and location, that it would be for our glory. Oh, no. And our prayer is not that it would be primarily for our benefit. No. We pray that this season ahead, for however long you have us here, would be for, for your glory. And for your gospel goodness and love, starting from here through this church, which is really the people gathered here, to go out into the community in increasing measures. And so, Father, would you help us be dependent as ever on you? Lord, if you don't build this church, it's, it's for nothing. We don't, we don't want to just show up and, quote, unquote, play church. We long to see your kingdom come, your will be done. So, Lord, would you do that? And Father, would you help us increasingly become a people, a church, individuals, families of prayer? Please give us your spirit as we turn to your word to understand these things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we're looking at Ephesians 6, verses 18, 18 excuse me, through 20. And I believe what we have here are really two reasons why prayer is so important. Why prayer is so important. The Apostle Paul was writing to the church in Ephesus. That is modern-day Western Turkey. And he began our text with these words, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. And pray. So, of course, he's picking up with where he had been already developing a thought. So we need to understand the context. If you were with us a few months ago, you know we went, we did a sermon series through the book of Ephesians. I really, really enjoyed that personally. Just I love the book of Ephesians. It's often described as the crown jewel of the epistles of the writer of, uh, of the letters of, of Paul. But really, Ephesians can be broken into two halves to kind of understand it. The first half, chapters 1 through 3, are theological. Paul comes out the gates just with a bang saying, Christians have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ. And then he just takes his readers up and up and up. He says, and though you've been dead in your transgressions, though, those you, though you were dead in your sin and transgressions, you have been made alive with Christ. 
And then he talks about this mystery of the gospel that's been revealed. Namely that now all people, including the word he uses, Gentile, that is non-Jews and Jews alike, can be brought into the family of God through what Jesus did on the cross. And, and where he kind of takes it to the pinnacle, he says, and all this is being made known through the church. Which is an incredible thought that he uses people like you and me, community of followers of his, to make the, quote, manifold wisdom of God known, his mystery known. That's the first half of, uh, of Ephesians. The second half, chapters 4 through 6, move from the theological to the practical. And uh, it's really where Paul kind of shifts in, in, in his gears to say, okay, if this is who God is and this is what he has done, this is what it then means. He says, okay, first of all, he says, Christians, you really need to fight for unity, fight to maintain unity. That's just so critical. Start there. And then he says, you really need to strive to live a life worthy of the calling in which you've received. And then, and then he's, he's kind of going from the broader understanding of the practicals to getting more and more down to the day-to-day life. And he ends with saying, and, and here's what this means. If God's done all this, it means in your specific relationships. He starts breaking down specific relationships. Honor one another. So he's going from kind of the, the big to the more uh, detailed, and he's getting more and more practical. And, and then here's where he ends this practical section, which I think is really important to consider. It's like, okay, unity, live a life worthy. Okay, here are your particular relationships. And then he says, in verse 10, a few verses from where we are, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Paul is saying, again, as he's going kind of like more and more practical, he kind of ends with, get this, and you need to realize you're at war. Now, that's the first thought we have here that for why prayer is so important. We're at war, according to the scriptures. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly worlds. So therefore, we need to be praying, he goes on to say in our text today. Now, to the average Silicon Valley person, this idea of spiritual warfare, you know, these evil forces, uh, to the average Silicon Valley person, uh, they would, or you would, if that's you, balk at that, maybe, maybe even scoff. But if that is you, let me offer a thought, and if you would like to talk about it more, I'd love to see you afterwards. But Columbia professor Andrew Del Banco, a self-described secular liberal, wrote a very illuminating book on the subject. He entitled, The Death of Satan, How Americans Have Lost the Sense of Evil. And in it, he kind of argues that Americans, and really the modern West is in trouble that we don't have the concepts of, we don't have an understanding of God and Satan, of good and evil, because we really don't have any tools to deal with some of the harsh realities in the world. And he was once asked in an interview, how could you, as a a self-described secular liberal, write a book like this? And without skipping a beat, he said, because of the Holocaust and other things like it. He had had some family members who were killed in the Holocaust. And he went on to say this. He said, if we say the Nazis just had a physiological problem, then that trivializes it. If all we do is accept it as evolutionary survival of the fittest, we have no foundation to say it's wrong, which it was. It was evil. 
Now, the Bible doesn't bat an eye at this. The Bible just says, hey, there's this evil. We've got to be aware of it. And it's worth noting that this was Paul's stance. When he was writing to the church there in Ephesus, he didn't really bat an eye. He just kind of made the assumption with, these, with this early church, like, you guys know. He says it kind of matter-of-factly. And that makes sense, by the way, because if you read about the accounts in Ephesus in the book of Acts, that kind of parallels these accounts, gives us context, you'll see that, yeah, Ephesus back in the day in the ancient world had all kinds of stuff they were dealing with, including, for instance, occultic practices and the rest of it. You know, I've had the privilege and opportunity to travel the world around, and I've had the opportunity, at least from my perspective, to see things that are just way more out there in terms of what we're talking about instead of just kind of how our own categories here. Sometimes the modern thought or objection is, well, they just didn't have the category of calling it mental illness. But actually, the ancient scriptures, we have verses in the Bible, sentences that include both the term mental illness and kind of the more spiritual realm, meaning they were aware of both and contrasting them. But be that as it may, uh, it's, it's important for Christians to understand this to be the case and live according. Um, the author and thinker C.S. Lewis said at one point that Christians tend to, when it comes to kind of spiritual warfare and these sorts of things, tend to fall in one of two camps on the extremes. On the one camp, he says, Christians can fall into the everything is the devil's fault camp. Like, you know, I stubbed my toe, the devil did it, right? I ran out of gas or electricity in my car, the devil did it. It's like, no, uh, that's probably you, right? It's like, no. The other camp that C.S. Lewis says Christians can easily fall into is the one that, that totally just writes off or downplays that there's any spiritual warfare at all. And he says that that is equally erroneous. Paul here is saying, make no mistake, you're in, you're in a war that's being waged around you. And the culminating thing he says in this regard are our verses. He says, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. So let me, let me ask, are you living as if there's a war being waged around you? Are you praying as if there's a war being waged around you? Uh, from my reading and conversation with family and friends who've served in the military, it's my understanding that often, especially closer to wartime, uh, militaries will train their soldiers with live fire ammunitions going off around them. I remember the first time I heard that, I'm like, that's crazy. Like, what? Like, they'll run a gauntlet or kind of like do the, the, the course, and live bullets will be going over their heads. I'm like, those aren't like, you know, blanks, just sound. No, no, those are real bullets. And I'm like, that's nuts. He's, and yeah, that's the point. That's the point. Militaries understand that soldiers need to be prepared mentally that that's going to happen, let alone disciplined to be able to function well when that is happening. You know, there's been a number of battles throughout history. I can think of certain instances with World War II and, and the Vietnam World, others, of course, where there's been this dynamic where soldiers and subsequently their, their entire armies have been so cowered by the bullets that are flying over them that they have been completely paralyzed by it all, unable to do anything. And, and the interesting thing there is that actually is the most dangerous thing soldiers and therefore an army can do because now you're in this position where you are extremely vulnerable, pinned down. Are you living as if there's a war being waged around you? Are you praying as if there's a war being waged around you? Because this kind of perspective is helpful for how we pray. Wouldn't you say? Because if all we pray is, Lord, would you please bless this work presentation I have coming up? 
It's not a bad prayer. But, but if that's all we're praying, uh, we're not seeing what's, that, that there's this battle being waged around us. Think of it this way. The enemy behind the, whatever challenge or hardship that you might be praying about might be far greater or worse, scarier, than you or I realize. But, and this is Paul's point, however great the enemy, God is greater. So, so therefore, pray. Pray as if you're in war, because Paul says you are. Do you feel like your marriage is just hanging on? Do you feel like you are stuck and not a lot of sense of hope there? Pray. Pray that the Lord would be with you, help you through. Are the dynamics you're facing at work with coworkers or a boss or maybe just the workload itself overwhelming you, crushing you? Pray. Don't just double down your efforts. Ask the Lord to fight with and for you. Are your kids facing challenges that feel outside your control of, and you don't know what to do or how it'll turn out? Uh, pray. Uh, we've got to pray as if we're in a war raging around us because Paul says there is. And we need to not just be praying to the degree that we understand things to be. We need to be praying all the more with the understanding of what Paul is giving us in terms of context. It seems to me that over half the battle, perhaps, is just understanding that this is going on. Just being aware of these things. Uh, it may help us to actually pray. <laughs> but it may also help to give us better perspective. For those of you who are married, have you ever gotten into an argument with your spouse and you're fighting about this, this, and this, only to later discover what you were really in disagreement about was that, and it wasn't really a big deal? I see a lot of smiles at that. <laughs> a lot of people. Have you ever been in that situation where you realize, oh my goodness, it's like there's so much, there's so much more going on. We're just missing each other. I, I think what Paul is helping us see is, hey, we're more on the same team than we realize. Um, one of the greatest tactics, one of the, the two tactics that, that the evil one tries to uh, take aim at, especially when it comes to relationships, we're told, is to create disunity and, uh, uh, boy, lost a second thought. Disunity and division. At one point in the, in the book of Ephesus, er, uh, Ephesians earlier, he says, don't let the evil one take a foothold. Meaning, don't let the evil one drive a wedge in between you and others. And sometimes we just need to understand and have this realization that, oh my goodness, I might be believing a lie about that person. We might be more on the same team than, than, I, than I thought about, whether it's your, your marriage, whether it's other relationships in the church, whether it's other people out in the community. And so, therefore, I can do what God calls me to do, and that is offer gospel love. That is forgiveness, Benef give benefit of the doubt, give trust and grace. Prayer is vitally important because, first, we're at war. Secondly, it's vitally important because the stakes are high, Paul helps us see. In other words, it's not just life and death. Paul says the stakes are greater than that because the stakes are concerning eternity. Here's what he says in verse 18. With this in mind, be alert, and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given to me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. I mean, this is just incredible considering his circumstances. Paul, when he was writing the book of Ephesians, we know, and he tells us, was in prison. And he was in prison 
precisely for his faith in Jesus and for telling people about Jesus. That's why he was in prison. And yet in this letter, he not only doesn't complain, he doesn't ask for prayer for deliverance. Instead, he says, pray that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly. You know, this phrase in the original language, make known, is, is an interesting choice of words because it actually has the connotation underneath it of speaking freely about. So get this, Paul's not only asking for prayers not to be set free, but to freely speak about the mystery of the gospel. Okay, what is the mystery of the gospel? We've talked a little bit about this. He makes it clear in the rest of his letter. But it's this good news that anybody and everybody can now receive a right relationship with God through what Jesus Christ did on the cross and his, his death and then his resurrection to life, that if we receive him and what he's done for us by faith, any and every person can be brought into his eternal family. Jew, Gentile, rich, poor, you name it. Every and every, any and every person. That's, that's the good news. And Paul is saying that's why prayer is so vitally important. The stakes are really high. They're higher than life and death, he says. They're about eternity. And so therefore, we got to pray because if there's anything the evil one would like to take aim at, it's, from, it's at preventing people from hearing and receiving the good news of Jesus. I mean, Paul and the early church just blow me away. I mean, here he is facing, for all he knows, execution for his faith in Jesus, and he's asking for prayer that he would make that faith known more freely. He's thinking about the guy he's literally chained to, no doubt. He's the way it worked back then. You were chained to you know, a soldier who kind of was on watch over you. He's, he's, praying, he's asking for prayer to make the gospel known to that guy. He was praying for the people who were visiting him at this time, many of whom, by the way, were Jewish leaders who were actively coming into his jail cell to kind of gloat and argue with him. He wanted to share the gospel with them. He was praying to, to speak fearlessly, no doubt, with the imperial court in mind when he would stand before Caesar. Think about that. I mean, Paul would, that's where he would ultimately, you know, lose his life, but not before sharing the gospel in the Roman world, which we know the history of that. It's pretty incredible. And in the early church, if you read the account in Acts chapter 4, it's a pretty incredible story. You can read it later, but when persecution first hit the church, the, they, basically they understood that they were going to be thrown in jail and that they were going to start losing their lives for the faith. When that first started to happen, the first thing they did was gather to pray and what they pray about, but not for deliverance, not for protection, but that if that was the case, Lord, bring it on if it'll help more people know it about Jesus. And we're told at the end of the count that the walls shook and they understood that to be God kind of blessing them with showing that he was there in his presence. Yeah, that, that would make sense. It's the kind of prayer I imagine, you know, the Lord would make it real clear that he's honored by Prayer is vitally important because we're at war. The stakes are high. Okay, so what? What, what, what does this practically mean for us? What, what ought we do with this? A few practicals, and then we'll close our time in prayer. Paul gives us several practical ways for, for how to pray in light of this. First of all, he says, pray, quote, in the Spirit. He says, pray in the Spirit. Do you ever pray in the Spirit? Have you thought of it that way? Here's what I think this means. Do you ever pray not according to your own agenda? 
Do you ever pray actively listening to what God might be saying instead of just kind of going through your list? Uh, because here's the thing. You know, it's, it's incredible. Christians can go through a lifetime of praying and think, okay, I'm going to pray what God wants me to pray. I'm going to pray this. I'm going to think about these things. I'm going to pray. But stop to realize that anything we pray that we think God would want us to pray is actually first from him anyhow. So we're just joining him, and prayer is an opportunity to do that. God calls you and me to pray in the Spirit. Romans 8 gives some interesting description to this. Uh, Have you ever gone to pray and not known what to pray? Has that ever happened? Romans 8 says, here's what you do. You just pray in silence, and guess what? The Spirit will pray on your behalf, often through groans, Paul describes. Groans that the world's not the way it ought to be, and he's wanting to bring it back to the way that, that he intends, and we're just to pray silently, and that's praying in the Spirit. I had a uh, professor of preaching back in seminary, incredible guy, African-American gospel preacher, the kind of guy who was on magazine covers because of his gifts, but also just incredibly wise, humble. Such a, such a gift to be able to go through that class, such a, such a wonderful blessing. But he would, he would pray before these preaching classes, and I've shared a few of those down the years w- with you guys. One of those prayers just before class would start, as you would say, okay, everybody, in this class of, you know, seminary students, you say, okay, everybody, bow your heads, close your eyes. We're going to pray. And then he would just go, dear Jesus, I won't do it for you, but he'd stay there for 30 seconds, just an eternity, just not saying anything. And then he'd go, Amen. Of course, we understood what he was doing there. He was, he was saying, you know what? We don't always have to fill the silence with words. The Spirit prays on your behalf. We're called to pray in the Spirit. We're called to pray constantly and about anything and everything. Pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. The word all is repeated, at least in the original language, four times in these three verses. We need to pray constantly and about anything and everything. You know, it's really great to pray before meals. It's really great to pray before bed. These are wonderful habits to build in, routines, rhythms. But that ought not to just confine us to those spaces of prayer. My dad gave me a book when I was a little guy. It was really influential in in kind of my walk uh, in the faith. Um, Uh, entitled Disciple by Juan Carlos Ortiz, a pastor of a big church in Buenos Aires, uh, Argentina. He's an incredible guy. Uh, He's a real playful spirit. But you talk about, and it it comes across in his writing, you talk about how he would teach his people to uh, pray just all the time when they think about it. And just to, just to, to explore the space, if you will, to pray. And one of the ways he would do that is say, don't be scared to pray with your eyes open. You say, you know, walk around and pray with your eyes open. Don't bump into anything. You know, as you're driving around, pray with your eyes open. Don't crash into anything. He's like, in doing that, you can, you can see God in those spaces. He said, look, praying with your eyes closed is wonderful because it removes distractions. There's, there's reverence there. There's time and space for that, of course. But he says, when you're out and about, you can do things as simple as, and Lord, thank you for that tree I see over here. You know, the beauty of it, how it brings life and oxygen to this world, how the light reflects off. And, you know, you just goes on, and then he says, and when you're driving past your neighbor's house, praying for John and Jane and of, of that house, and, and, and for them to know Jesus, and for you to have an opportunity to be a loving presence in their life, whatever the case might be, we, we need to always be praying, and then he says, on all occasions. Last week, we talked about navigating transitions. 
you know, there's different occasions in life that kind of mark different seasons that we are we're moving into. Of course, we're celebrating one today, which is why we're focusing on prayer. But when you're going through a transition, can you put a little spiritual marker down of prayer? You know, say you're starting a new job or you're, you got shifted to a new desk in that new job. Whatever the case, when you're walking your kids or grandkids to school for the first time, could you pray with them to kind of put a little marker down? And then he says, and pray on all ki- with all kinds of prayers and requests. Uh, look, we need not just pray for people to know Jesus, as Paul says, that you fearlessly make known the gospel. That's important. That can be understated. But not at the expense of just praying anything, though. You, we're invited to pray anything and everything to the Lord. First Peter 5 says, bring all your anxieties to the Lord because he cares for you. Pray anything. He wants to hear from you. So we need to pray in the Spirit, pray constantly and about anything and everything. And the third, we need to pray for others, especially those in the church. Be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Uh, what is incredible about soldiers, if you know, is that they are not only ever, when they're out in you know, a raging battlefield, they're not only thinking about their own well-being. You know, With the stakes as high as they are, soldiers are almost always thinking about their fellow person in arms with them to cover their back and they they're like there's just such a camaraderie why because they're in war together I mean, paul says we need to be praying for others in the church because the same spiritual battlefield that we're talking about here applies to to everyone uh, there's a term that's been thrown around christian circles for a long time that i didn't really know what to do with for a while and, and i realized actually it's a it's a good term it's it's i don't know if you've heard it but it's this term Prayer warriors. Have you heard that before? Our church say, hey, there's a prayer warrior. Uh, it's a really good term, and I realize it's a really good term precisely because of what we're talking about today. It's folks who may, maybe they don't have spears, swords, guns, whatever, but they're, they're on their hands and knees. They're, they're praying for folks. Man, I love folks like this in my life because I just know there's a special covering when they're around, when they're thinking about things. Uh, my mom, if I can use this term, is a prayer warrior. There's at least one person on our staff, and probably several, but one person on our staff who's a prayer warrior warrior. My mom and this gal are named Joanne. (laughs) That's interesting. I often recognize that it's often gals who tend to be these prayer warriors. We're talking people that aren't going around saying, hey, I'm a prayer warrior, but people you just know subtly are just praying. I'm just so grateful for them. And I think we're going to get to the next life and we're going to be honoring, you know, soldiers of what we understand traditionally, but there's going to be a special place of honor for folks who are going into battle through prayer. We need to be praying for one another's because those in the church are just in the thick of it as, as we are. We need to be praying for relationships, marriages, relationships in the church, battles of addiction and temptation. We need to be praying for unity and trust. Of course, the gospel, light to go forward. So pray in the Spirit. Pray constantly about anything and everything. Pray for others. And then finally, pray for leaders. Paul says, pray also for me. Uh, here's what hit me this week as I was studying this. I was like, man, if Paul, the great apostle, had to ask for prayer and had the humility to do so, oh my goodness, those of us who are in leadership, whether it's church or elsewhere, need to ask for prayer. It's been a really heavy last few weeks, months, in, in kind of my readings and taking in the news of what's happening. There's been a lot of pastors who've been leaving the ministry. In fact, the New York Times came out with an article just two weeks ago entitled, Why Pastors Are Burning Out. So pastors are leaving the ministry. And then there's also, and this has been the heavier part, just a, a flood of, of another wave of, of scandal and pastors kind of falling out 
of the ministry. And I understand in our day and age that, you know, there's more information out there. We need to, and so we, we, can, it, we can see it and recognize it more quickly. It gets to us. But, man, there's just been a heaviness about that. There's been some individuals where it's just like, oh, no, those guys, that guy too kind of deal. Fundamentally, I understand we're all in a place. No one's above falling, that sort of thing. But it's just still, right, there's just been this heaviness. I was reminded of a conversation I had with a pastor years ago, uh, just a mentor of mine, incredible Incredible person. I'm so grateful for that relationship. And at one point, there was another wave of scandals, unfortunately, in the, in, in the broader American church. And I, and I said to him, I said, I said, man, it's, it's so incredible that you've, you've been faithful all these years. I'm just so grateful for that. Church, we're just so grateful that that's, that's been the case. And without skipping a beat, he said, David, pray for me. And he had more emotion in his voice than I was expecting. He said, David, pray for me. He said, don't misunderstand me. I'm not trying to say there's something, you know, in the closet. I'm not, you know, hey, there's, I'm not trying to say there's something back there that disqualifies me. But pray for me, because the only way any of us are spared, ultimately, is if the Lord's help and his protection, his, his grace. We need to pray for our leaders. I would ask that you pray for me and Cindy Protection over our kids, if you would, because that seems to be a lot of the angle of attack the enemy gets to us. I would ask that you pray for our elder board and their families, their grandkids. I would ask that you pray over the staff. I'd ask that you pray over current group leaders. I'd ask that you pray over Sunday team leads and still for other leaders. As we pray in the Spirit, constantly about anything and everything for others in the church and for leaders pray that we all would do do this making making it known the good news of jesus fiercely making known the good news of jesus because uh, notice paul who was about as brave as it came in this regard felt like he needed god to give him that boldness and the lord certainly did well as the elders and and their wives uh, make their way up here you guys can come up these steps probably the best you know, Cindy's coming up that way um we're gonna have a time they're they're amazing wives are coming up too cindy and michelle in their own right are incredible key leaders have been since the earliest of days um nothing nothing else i'm glad you guys get to see them make note of them so you'll be praying over them and their families kids grandkids um we're going to take a moment to pray here, but as we kind of get set up for that, I want to close with this story. There was a, a pastor and um, a pastor uh, years ago um, of, of Cindy's and mine uh, who unexpectedly came down with uh, late stage cancer, and he was only given a little bit of time to live. He was going to pursue treatments, of course, but he just was given a little bit of time. He ended up uh, having a lot more time. He said, in fact, he's still still with us, which is pretty incredible, but he didn't know that at the time, and he said he and his wife found out, uh, discovered that God had given them a really gift of a gift when all that went down. They still didn't know what was going to happen, and that gift of a gift was prayer. They had taught people to pray. They had been people who would constantly pray for the ministry, for their family, for the, for the mission. They were people of prayer, but, he, but the way they said it, this side of what, that, what happened was like, oh my goodness, but then we really began to pray. The epiphany hit them when he was in this, taking these cancer treatment. He was realizing that he was eating the pill for the cancer treatment just religiously, so to speak. Just every day on the hour, just praying. He realized, you know what? As important as that is, we got to be praying. 
Because we say that prayer is important, but we haven't been really living it out. There's, there's a disconnect. So he said, he and his wife decided together, okay, we're going we're gonna to pray every night. We're just going to decide to start, start doing that. We're not going to make a big deal. I don't feel like we've got to make these long prayers, but we're just going to put a little mark down and start. He said, in making that decision, he said it's one of the biggest changes for the good in their marriage. A church family, prayer is one of these things that we can understand fundamentally is very important, but it's just so easy to neglect. We might feel like we're busy. We might feel like we're too overwhelmed. We might feel, but that's all the reasons the more to be praying. And so as we begin this season, for however long we're in this space, in this location, which we're really excited about, we want to put a little spiritual marker down on this occasion, asking the Lord to build his house, the Lord to build his church. So we're going to pray out together. The band can come up to, to close us, but Cindy and then Ed will pray over us. And um, can I do a little bit of a curveball? We never do this. If it's the first time you never, you know, you're probably like, what are you talking about? Can we all stand? Would that be okay? Can we just mark this moment by standing? And then after Ed concludes, after Cindy, we'll just sing.
that every time we leave, we would go into the rest of our weeks with a sense of true renewal and revival. We thank you, Lord, so much for your amazing provision of this place. May we all stand as we're standing now to take our part in what you've planned for us in this season. And would you speak to us and meet us here? Lift your heads and open your eyes, which is fine for right now. You've heard a lot this morning. You know that we as a church are growing. Our church is blended by all the individuals here. Our hearts are bound together. Our community in Mountain View is made up of all individuals. Some of me, some of you who are here, our hearts are bound together as a community. We are praying as a group. But do know that God prays and offers blessings to you, blessings to you individually ever been with me in a prayer session before I come from a church background with benedictions and I would love to offer a benediction to each one of you today individually because God blesses you individually the health of you protecting your own heart individually is going to protect our community and protect our church and help us to grow together so I offer up this benediction from the Old Testament from numbers as best I can remember it the Lord bless you and keep you the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and grant you peace. Amen. Amen.